0: Hello, and welcome to episode 128 of the Confident Live Marketing
1: Podcast. I would think about that unconventional or unexpected moment. So surprise is something that always stands out.
0: Hello, my name's Ian Anderson-Gray. And in this episode of the Confident Live Marketing Show, we're talking about how to create memorable events. And i got a special guest today, the Director of Events for Social Media Marketing World, Phil Michon. We'll be with you just after this. But first looks like it's time for something completely nutty I want to- To the Confident Live Marketing Podcast with Ian Anderson Gray.
1: Helping you level up your impact, authority, and profits through the power of confident live video.
0: Optimize your mindset and communication, and increase your confidence in front of the camera.
1: Get confident with the tech and gear,
0: and get confident with the content Content and marketing. Marketing. Together, we We can go go live. live! Well, hello, welcome to episode 128 of the Confident Live Marketing Podcast. In today's show, I'm joined by the Director of Events for Social Media Marketing World, Phil Michonne. We're going to be talking about how you can create memorable events. Now, we're going to be focusing on in-person events, but obviously, in the last year... There haven't been too many of those, and we're going to be talking about how you can also translate some of those things into virtual events as well. But first, just to let you know about my sponsor of this episode, and that is Restream. I use Restream for all of my shows, as well as Ecamm Live. And Restream allows me to broadcast to a plethora of different destinations. I can then bring in the conversations, the chat from all my lovely audience out there as well. And with Restream Studio, you can also have up to nine guests on your show. And they've also brought out something really cool and amazing. I've talked about this last episode and this is Restream Pairs. This allows you to, allows your guest actually, to go live to their channels as well. So you can go live to your channels and allow your guest to go live to their channels as well. It's pretty cool. But anyway, here is a little bit more about Restream.
1: The Confident Live Marketing Podcast is proudly sponsored by Restream. Restream is the complete multi-streaming suite for entrepreneurs. It's the easiest way to broadcast live to over 30 destinations at the same time, including Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitch, and so much more.
0: Restream Studio makes it so simple to stream directly from your browser.
1: Bring in guests and add your branding, videos, and graphics, and view and highlight comments from your destinations. at the click of a button. Take Restream for a test drive and get your first month completely free at iag.me forward slash Restream.
0: Awesome. It's time to bring in Phil Michonne. Phil is the director of events for Social Media Examiner. He brings over 25 years experience in leading customised events, mission-driven campaigns and creative communication strategies. He now leads social media marketing world. Phil is also a jazz saxophonist, a podcast host and writing his first book called Unforgettable Events. Phil, welcome to the show. <laughs> How are you doing, uh, Phil? Great to see you here. I'm doing great.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, we've got the we've rolled the red carpet out. We're, I'm very excited to have you here because we've I, yeah we've known each other for it it feels like um quite a long time, but certainly in the social media world, I, I've got a very kind of memorable memory of meeting you for the first time. I think it was. I think it was in the the lobby bar of the Grand Hyatt Hotel in San Diego. But yeah, do, do you remember when we, we first met? Obviously, at Social Media Marketing World, which is the biggest social media conference in the world, happens in San Diego every year, apart from this year, of course, for some reason. But yeah, can you remember when we first met?
1: You know, I was trying to think about that because mm. you started speaking for us, I don't remember if it was our second or third year of the conference, but... I met you the previous year, whichever year that was. And I don't have a distinct memory of meeting, but I remember our conversations went quickly to the fact that we shared common interests in music, as well as we share a f- similar faith background. And so it started a lot of different conversations for us and we became friends pretty quickly, but it, I don't remember mm. the year.
0: Yeah. I'll the, 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 problem with social media marketing world and you being the director of, of events, is you meet so many different people. So it just, I'm sure all of these memories just, yeah, difficult to remember all of these things. But yeah, I think the, so the first year I went to Social Media Market Award was in 2015. And honestly, it changed. It it seems over the top to say this, but I do genuinely mean this. It changed my life. It really did. Meeting all these people uh, who had a shared interest in me, meeting you, uh, meeting people that kind of got me and got my creativity and we all understand each other you mentioned shared faith as well that was a big impact uh, as well but yeah it was 2015 and then yeah I got asked to speak Mike contacted me to speak the following year and I don't know if you know the story Phil but Mike I think he emailed me (laughs) asking if I would uh, be interested in speaking and it went into my spam folder <laughs> so I never got no. to... <laughs> and so that he had to sense. message me so uh, this is Michael Stelzner I'm glad he, he did message me but so you've you've been involved you've been the director of events right from the startup for social media marketing world is that correct
1: yes I have since mm. 2013 was our first year so yeah
0: yeah. Wow. And how has it grown? What's been the the transition really from the first event to what's going to be happening next year and what's happened last year? How has it grown and what have been the challenges for you in being director of
1: events? The first year, it was our first event of mm. this kind of magnitude. We've been doing online events since 2009. That is our first physical event. I've, I've been in the church world and nonprofit world and the corporate training world prior to this, but I had never put on a three-day or two-day event for a 1,000-plus people. So it was quite the experience to learn how to do that. We found a partner to help us produce that event. After that, we began learning a lot more about how to tailor the event for our industry and our audience. And in the early days, social media was really a frontier, social media marketing, that is. And so people were all trying to figure this out and all sizes of business were coming As we have gone further and further into the conference, our audience is becoming more and more mature and more specific on what they want to learn. And so we are dialing in based on research to what do they need. And so that also includes what experiences are they looking to have. You create different experiences for a 20-year-old than you do a 50-year-old. And so we are understanding better who actually is coming, who are we designing this event for. And so I think... and. Another thing that has become more complicated is there's a lot more events focused on social media marketing or or at least digital marketing than there were back in 2013. So you said that we are the largest and I'd say that still is true, but there are a lot of other conferences that focus on aspects of what we focus on or are related in some kind of Venn diagram crossover, but there's no one that does what we do in the way that we do it. And so we're leaning into that even more, saying we don't have to be like any of the other events. We need to be who we are for our audience. And that includes, as we think about a post-COVID world, what are people really going to come to an event in person for uh, versus we've learned there are things that are okay to learn online in a Zoom or whatever setting that we're okay. We don't need to travel. When we travel, what are we going to come for? And those are the kinds of conversations that we're having to make sure we create an event that is going to be very valuable for those who come.
0: Definitely. And I think maybe one of the issues that you've created for yourselves is that because social media marketing world has just been so successful and it has generally changed a lot of people's lives. But each time people go back, they're almost expecting more. They're expecting more magic. And how can you improve on something that's already just very slick and and works really well I I think you you mentioned a a great point about there are some aspects of a conference that people can learn online and maybe that is partly the content but there's still something I think valuable in going to a conference to learn content and to actually learn from presentations and things like that but maybe one of the most powerful things I feel from a conference like social media marketing world is the fact that you can meet people experts in the field and you can meet them in person. You can have those conversations in the corridor. And I don't think really there's any anywhere, it's certainly in the social media world, anything quite like social media marketing world. But I want to ask you about your musical background because one of the things that I found in going to social media marketing world was actually how many musicians were at the conference or ex-musicians or professional musicians and I know you've put a lot of emphasis in music, that there's a choir, there's a, a musical that's been put on every year. And I, I still, to this day, look back and think, that was amazing on stage singing with some other amazing, talent, amazingly talented people uh, at, at a social media conference. <laughs> it's quite bizarre, but it just somehow it works. So tell us about your musical background. And how does that help you, do you think, in what you're doing today?
1: Yeah, so I've been playing music since I was in first grade. I have a degree in music. I'm a jazz saxophonist. I led worship in churches for over 20 years, either full-time or part-time. So I've got a very diverse background and my wife is a vocalist. And with our kids, we've been involved with a lot of different musicals. I think back in 2016, I've been having conversations with a couple of different people and noticing that there were some very talented people in our ranks. Uh, who did have that musical background. So it wasn't like I went out and said, we need to create a musical. It was, oh, interesting. Look at the people who are here. We could do something cool and unexpected. And so this kind of connects to the topic of today's, um, interview is about creating memorable events or experiences. I thought that's going to be totally memorable. If we, instead of doing boring traditional announcements, what if we could create a musical that does the same thing and it gets people talking. And so that's what we did. We, you talked about Dorothy, we did the wizard of Oz that very first year. And Amy Landino was, was Dorothy and you were what the scarecrow, I forget which part you played. But um, I think I was the
0: the cowardly lion.
1: (laughs) That's right. You're the lion. That's right. So it's, it was creating something from the community and that's going to be memorable, that's going to stand out, that people are going to talk about. Like, when I remember you, the first time I really worked with you was on that musical. I know we had known each other for a year before that, but that was a standout moment for me, and that's where our friendship became something profound. And so I I know that's not the first moment, but that is the first standout moment in my mind.
0: Yeah, that was so much fun. It really was. And, yeah, just amazing to be able to merge the different interests that we all have in social media, technology, music. And that was a real epiphany moment for me because that was actually when Facebook Live came out and I'd been talking about live video for a while, but live video seems so separate to live video. But it was that moment when I was on stage that I thought, actually, all that experience that I've had as a musician and as a performer and as a teacher just works perfectly with social media i can be a consultant i can be a coach and for you do you feel that your experience as a musician and as a performer has helped you i mean obviously you've been on you get on stage in front of thousands of people that's for some people would be very scary and there's a there's a lot of practice that obviously has to go into all of that do you think that has been really integral to what your role is at social media examiner and social media marketing world
1: it's funny I was comfortable standing in front of a lot of people with the saxophone in my hands for <laughs> many years before I was comfortable standing with a microphone in my hand. And to this day, if I'm standing in front of a couple thousand people, I get cotton mouth. I still get nervous. I don't necessarily get the butterflies in the stomach, but I do get dry mouth and I need water close by, but it definitely prepared me. So I think understanding why am I up there, getting comfortable with myself as a musician, that is incredible training to be able to stand in front of people and engage with them. And so 100% that prepared me, but the first time you stand up in front of two, three, 4,000 people, it is a little bit staggering. I, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm glad you said that. It makes makes, you, makes us all feel that like you are a, actually a human being because <laughs> we all, I think most of us do struggle with, with that. And it's funny I don't know whether, yeah. I think you've committed this, that you'd probably feel, or you certainly did feel more comfortable getting in front of 4,000 uh, 4, people and just playing a saxophone, whereas speaking to them was more nerve-wracking. And I I feel the same. Actually, I, I, I felt the same when it came to getting in front of the camera. I found speaking in front of people, singing in front of people far easier than getting in front of the camera. It just felt to begin with very unnatural. So with all of these things, I think you'd say, Phil, that you just need to practice. You just need to keep doing it. And all the stuff that you've learned as a musician, in this case, you can push into your speaking in front of the camera or in front of lots of people. Would you say that's the case?
1: Yeah, let me tell you a story. So in college, I took a speech class. And when it came to the persuasive speech, I got to the conclusion of that talk and I completely blanked what I was going to say. And they tell you that if you forget what to say, go back to the last thing you remember saying and start again. And then that'll usually prime your brain to get back to it. I couldn't remember even what I'd said before. So I went and sat down and I was so ashamed that I vowed I will never speak in front of people again. I literally said this, and this is like sophomore year of college. And if you fast forward about three or four years, the pastor in my church asked me if I would help him teach a class. I'm like, there's no way I'll do anything else. I'll put up chairs. I'll do whatever you need me to do. He said, what if I was standing there with you? Would you be willing to try it? And I did, and I found that I liked it. And I think the takeaway, and that that began a journey where I've been all over the country speaking on stages, and I've spoken in front of lots of people and got trained to be a pastor and whatever. And I think what I learned through that, and I think this is something anyone can learn and musicians can relate, is if you've got something that you are prepared to say or something that you have to say, then it's a whole lot easier to get up in front because now you're not worried about... What they think of you, you're more concerned about what I have to say is important. It's life-changing. Or in the case of a musician, you've prepared this song. You want to share it. Like you're ready to share it. You're, you want to do that. And I think that's something that I learned through that experience. And there's still times that I've been asked to speak or get in front of people, whether it's to play a song or to speak, where I'm not ready or what I'm talking about is something I don't care about. And that's when nerves overtake me. So to me, it's what one of my teachers told me is: stay in your room and work on it until you can't help but get out. There's a fire in you; you've got to get out there and you've got to share it. And I don't know if that relates uh, to you.
0: Yeah, that's a great story. <laughs> I, I think we've many of us have been there, but it, it shows that you should never say that you're never going to do anything again because you'll probably come back and you will end up doing it and I think I've had a a similar experience when I first went live I was absolutely petrified instead of being the live video expert I was actually the reluctant live video guy (laughs) and that doesn't doesn't make a great headline imagine introducing me at social media marketing world Ian Anson Gray the reluctant live video guy but we've all got to start somewhere and it's it's actually from those experiences Phil that negative experience you were able to pick yourself off the floor okay it took a few years and you needed to be prodded quite a few times and pushed into it but that i think makes you more real and authentic and you you also understand how other people feel in the audience as well and empathy is so important i think now i can see Alec Dorling is in the house watching on YouTube. Great to see you, Alec. Hope you're doing well. And he's asking a question. So if you are focused on social media marketing, then which social media have the main focus in 2021? Is it Instagram, Facebook, Clubhouse or other? And Phil, this is always a challenge. There are tracks on all the, the major social media platforms. Do you look at what is happening in the social media sphere and work out what is hot, what's going to be hot in, say, for example, 2022, and then get the right speakers and the right tracks for that? I mean, how, how how do you work all of that out?
1: Yeah, it's it's an ongoing and constant research journey that we're on where we do surveys a couple times a year of our audience, which is a good representation of the industry. But we're also watching how people are consuming content that we create, whether it's in our blog, our podcast, our videos that we're creating. In addition, we're studying what are people saying in the media. So we've got all these different data points that we're studying to say what's hot, but then understanding the intersection of what's hot for our audience. So knowing it is that's coming to us and if it's at a conference it's one subset of our audience if it's on the blog or podcast or video or one of our other products then it's a different audience they're similar but not the same so we are constantly studying that and then we definitely define the content at the event based on that and you asked earlier like what's changed in the early years we let speakers just speak on whatever they wanted to because we knew any topic was going to probably be interesting to somebody but now we are definitely way more interested in knowing what our audience finds to be pain points and where are the breaking trends what are the new opportunities for marketers because in general people who've been doing social media marketing for a while which a lot of our audience have been they want to know what's working today they're not into the basics they need the advanced stuff they need the stuff that's more hidden they need to get those lessons from people so to alex point there's not a main focus Like you need to know your audience, your industry, your customers, where are they and how to engage them, attract them, whatever your goal is with your social media as well. And then lean into those Instagram, Facebook, of course, everyone's there, but you may need to be more focused on LinkedIn or Twitter or TikTok. clubhouse. I think social audio is a big question mark right now. Is that going to stick around or was that just a fad? I don't know. So I think it for us it's research for you it needs to be research based and if you come to our conference you would you should cho- choose what sessions to go to based on your needs not on what's popular
0: Yeah, that's so true. By the way, if you want to find out more about Social Media Marketing World, if you want to book this, I don't think uh, you can buy tickets yet. But by the time this podcast comes out, hopefully there will be more information on that. So if you go to, this link is not available right now, but if you're listening to the podcast, it will be. It's iag.me forward slash S-M-M-W, that's short for Social Media Marketing World. That's iag.me forward slash S-M-M-W. And Alec also, uh, I think we've probably got a similar answer for Alec here. He says, once you select your niche, then how to select the right social media to engage? Is it related to age groups or other demographics? And yeah, I think it's a mixture of all of those places. I don't know what you think, Phil, but I think it needs to be, the, the place that you focus on needs to be a network that you enjoy using. I think that's important because there's if it's if tiktok is where you should be but you don't enjoy tiktok then it's not going to work but the second thing is where are your audience and you need to do some research on that and it might surprise you if you do that if you do that research and alec also says is 2021 the year of live video i feel that if you don't get on the train this year then you will get left behind and you will be in catch-up mode and alec I would say it's kind of been like that for the last two or three years. and I think every year has been the year of live video. Uh, I think if you start next year, yes, you will be behind. But as long as you start, just I would say get started now because the first few live videos that you do, the first dozen won't be your greatest. But you've got to start and you've got to learn and get better and better over time. So get started if you haven't already. Thanks for that, Alec. What makes an event... Phil, what makes an event... Memorable.
1: Okay. I was thinking about this. So, there are forgettable events, which you might call a boring event that don't stand out in your mind. And then there are unforgettable events that are negative. Like, I'll never forget the time when, I'll, this is a great story, when the naked guy, naked homeless guy walked into the women's bathroom at our conference. That's not something I want people talking about, but that's a negative and unforgettable (laughs) memory or event. And then there are the positive ones where something happened. You meet someone, you learn something that is life-changing. And I've seen so many times this happens where someone will literally turn and talk to the person next to them. And it turns out they're in the same industry. They do the same thing. They quickly become best friends. And the event has gone from being an ordinary forgettable event to something that's extraordinary. And they'll never forget the time they met Ian or they met Sally or whatever. So I think the memories, it can be positive or negative. It can really be a standout, but what makes it memorable, I think are a couple of different things. One is something that's unexpected or a surprise. We gave the example of musical with Dorothy. That's unexpected. That's a surprise. Some people didn't like it and that's fine, but many people were blown away and said, wow, that's incredible. All those people on stage are speakers or staff at this conference. That's just, that's outstanding. I've never seen anything done like that before, but that you don't have to do something like that. It could be literally when you walk in, you're made to feel welcome. So we were talking earlier about negative experiences driving our change. And I remember going to numerous conferences where the check-in experience was very forgettable, very boring and almost negative. In fact, one conference, it was very negative where they had long lines. The staff was overworked. There weren't enough staff there. When I got up to the desk, they seemed irritated that I wanted to get a badge and that I wanted to get checked in. Like I was the problem at this event. I'm like, there's no way that's going to be the check-in experience at our event. I want that to be a positive experience. I want that to set the tone for the whole experience. There's things that you you want to stand out in people's memories. So for us, we want people to feel welcome as soon as they arrive at the event. So the first few things that they do when they get there need to have a positive, welcoming, warm tone to it. I don't want them to be turned away or turned off. I want them to feel engaged by the experience. So I'm focused on those things that are gonna prevent a negative experience, but there's other things that you don't want them to notice it. So for example, sound and lights in a room are not something you want people to notice. Wow, the sound is really good. The lights were really good. But if you don't do those things, you're not gonna be able to see or hear the speaker. So if you do them right, it's going to be unnoticed, and they're going to be able to focus on the thing you do want them to focus on, which is the content, the experience, the learning, the people who are there. So those are a few different things that run through my mind. I know that was a random throwing out of a few different ideas. but no, that's hopefully something that's, there you can catch on. To.
0: That that's great. I, I I think it's it is the little details and the experience that people have. Just you know, a lot of event organizers will not think about the experience of. Lining up to get to get their badge or the tickets. Yet that is the first thing, that's the first experience people will have. And I always felt that social media marketing world, you walk in and just, it's the people. The people are just so friendly. And I want to ask you this, Phil where do you get the people from? Because they're so giving, they're, they're wanting to serve, they're wanting to help. And they're just so full of happiness and, uh, and joy, which as a Brit coming over to the US, maybe for the not for the first time in a few years, I found mind-blowing. <laughs> just, there's so many people here and they're all just really happy and, and it's just an amazing experience. So tell us more about how you got all these people and the training that went into that.
1: Yeah, so I focus at the conference on those key moments and that welcome experience is one of those. And so I find staff, we look for volunteers and We put requirements out there and let them know what they're going to do. But we also ask them to raise their hand for the types of roles that they feel like they would enjoy. So I had a staff person last week say, please do not put me in a public facing role. I am terrible with people. I don't have a good smile, but if you want me doing something behind the scenes, that's great. So we put people in roles that they are going to shine in, but we do provide training. Like we're very strategic about where we place people and what we have them do. And it's really just about giving a warm welcome. It's not about lots of training needed. It's smile, look someone in the eye, if they're close enough for you to see their name badge, greet them by name, and then be helpful. That's it. At certain roles, they need to know a whole lot more. Um, but we look for people who naturally smile and can be warm. And we give a little bit of training, but it's more about where they are and then the, This is like secret sauce stuff, but it's really not that magical. If you greet someone four or five times within their first 10 or 15 minutes at an experience, they're way more likely to feel welcome and want to engage more. If they walk in and they have to fend for themselves and they feel like the people there are cold or uninterested or even repelling, like I remember at one convention that I went to. I asked a convention staff person, not the conference, but the building staff how to get somewhere because I got lost and the guy looked at me like I was stupid, like the building was so easy to navigate, which it wasn't, Um, but to him it was because he'd worked there all his life and he treated me like I was scum and so that was a really bad experience and I decided I'm not going back to that event based not on the staff of the conference but based on the staff of the convention center. And our conference, we're grateful that we've got staff at the convention center who also share our value on serving people. So I'm looking for people who have that mindset of service and who understand how important it is to make someone feel at home. Because I think if someone feels at rest, like you've got their needs taken care of, they feel secure, they're way more likely to be in a place that they're gonna learn. And that's really all we're trying to do. We want you to feel like you belong, You can find whatever you need, and this is going to be a good experience for you. So that you're going to lean into the experience as opposed to being constantly suspicious of everything that we do.
0: You used the word there, Phil, belong, belonging, and I think that is absolutely key because I have been to conferences where I've felt a bit of an outsider. I've not felt that I've belonged, and I think when people go to a conference for the first time, particularly if you are an introvert. You're going to be nervous. I was really nervous the first time I went to social media marketing world. Not only is it on the other side of the world, but will I know anyone? Are they going to think I'm like weird or I I don't know, there might be some... Would I have the conversations with people? Would I just be standing in the corner like a lemon? And I didn't feel that at all. I just felt really, I belonged and I felt part of the crowd. Whereas some conferences I've been to, they've been very cold or... They've been maybe cliquey is the word. So a lot of people know each other, but they're not doing anything to help to know me. I want to ask you this, Phil. That's obviously something that you've thought about. You you want people to feel that they belong and you don't want people to feel on the outside and, and unloved. What do you do to make those people who maybe feel nervous and on the outside feel part of the gang?
1: So when you've got thousands of people coming to an event, you obviously can't affect the behavior of thousands of people. But what we do is we look for speakers who embody that kind of attitude. So I think specifically of someone like Chris Brogan, who I don't think he's spoke the last couple of years, but he is a leader in our industry. He's been there for a long time. He, you could say he's one of the forebearers, but he has this attitude of, hey, if you come up, he's going to open up and welcome people into the conversation and ask you. And we're looking for speakers who have that kind of mindset If they wanna to talk to whoever wants to talk to them. They're not too good to talk to anybody, but instead they make themselves available. I think you mentioned Mark Schaefer earlier. Mark will just sit in our lobby and be available to talk to people for hours on end. Many of our speakers mm-hmm. will leave a session and they'll make themselves available to answer questions for 30, 60 minutes. They are part of the event. They Don't click to themselves. But in terms of like specific things we do, it's back to what we talked about earlier with the staff. I think staff can help set that tone. And we've got some people who look like staff because they're wearing staff shirts and others who are incognito, who are more like yeast working their way through the event. And we asked them to, hey, if you see someone who's by themselves, approach them and see if they need anything, if you can engage them. Sometimes they need space. They got to get some work done. They just need a little shut eye. But other times they just needed somebody to draw them in. And I've seen that happen so many times or when someone looks frustrated, if you approach them and ask them a few questions and engage them and are just a, a warm listener, you can totally change that. And additionally, you know, there's some programmatic things that you can do for sure, like making available what we call table talks, but other conferences we'll call birds of a feather or different kinds of small conversations of where you can find people interested in the same things that you are. If you're into live video, here's some conversations happening with other people who wanna talk about live video. So there's things like that, where here's some places I can go where I can find people like myself, but otherwise it's trying to set a tone. And so I do it with our staff are setting the tone when people arrive and are present throughout the event. We have MCs who are cognizant of setting the tone. Ultimately, people have to choose. Am I going to lean in, engage? Am I going to enter into those conversations? Or do I just want to stick to myself? And that none of us can control. That's an individual choice. But we want to set the tone of the culture, the environment, where people will engage if they want to.
0: Really love that. One of the many things I love about social media marketing world is there is technically a speaker's green room, but it doesn't seem to be used that often there are you know some speakers will go in there and before they speak before they present or just to go over the slides but the speakers are very much within the crowds talking with people there's not this them and us place uh, kind of feeling. And I love that. I really love that because I, I just feel it's the role of speakers to serve the people and be part of the crowd. And I think that's really important. Now, Alec Darling, thank you for being so patient. I love this question. And so what is the participation of the age group of 65 plus in social media marketing events and the 65 plus age bracket be made welcome? And I went to a conference About fifteen years ago, with my dad, and he was, and he wasn't really made to feel welcome. He felt quite uncomfortable because it felt to him like everyone was like eighteen or (laughs) nineteen. How about social media marketing world? Can you tell us if you're over sixty five, how welcome would you be uh, be made to feel?
1: I'm getting closer and closer to that age. I'm aware, (laughs) but I will tell you this: I think it's going to depend on the mindset of the person coming. If social media is over your head and you're already lost, it may not be the place where you're going to feel welcome because these are people who are, you no know, matter what your age, if you're trying to figure out how do I use social media and you know what you're trying to use it for and you're a learner in mindset, then it doesn't matter your age. I've seen, there's a guy that stands out and I don't remember his name, but he has three businesses. He's in his eighties and he's there asking questions the night before the conference started. He's just working the event and standing out by the end of the event we're all talking about this guy. It's been a couple of years so that's why I don't remember his name. So I think if you go in with the mindset of hey I'm here to learn and I want to learn and you don't have to have all the answers, people want to engage. If you go in this you could be 30 and have the mindset of I this is too confusing, I'm overwhelmed, I'm not participating, you're not going to have a great experience. So there's not an age thing going on. It's much more a learning community and to your point about speakers, I think part of why speakers are like that is they all want to learn and they realize in social media, nobody has all the answers because as soon as you think you do, everything's going to change tomorrow. So it's, we're all constantly trying to keep up. And so I think that is not age dependent. That's mindset dependent.
0: That's so true. So true about the mindset because yeah, you can be 21 and have not a very helpful mindset and, and You've got to go in there just wanting to learn and whether you're a speaker or whether you are an attendee, that's what you go to an event for. Not just that, of course, you, you're going there to connect as well. Before we get on to some of the top things that we can do to make our own event memorable, uh, you touched on this before. But what are the trademarks of a really unmemorable event or a boring event? What are your top tips to make an event as Boring as possible.
1: <laughs> That's an interesting question. How would you go about creating a boring event on purpose? Because I don't want to do that. I think speakers who drone on and on and are uninteresting and have their PowerPoint slides loaded with lots of data and they don't use a lot of the the things that we know in music of creating pause and creating dynamics and cadence and all those things that we know how to do with music. The same thing is true in talks. Or if you have a bunch of people speaking that are not on relevant topics, then it's going to start sounding like droning and people are going to be flocking into the audience. Or this is how to make it really forgettable is have offensive speakers. Someone who's going to get up there and start um, dividing the audience over political statements. I've seen that happen. And I've seen hundreds of people flock out of a room when a speaker does that. So that's actually not boring. That's very memorable, memorable, but in a bad way for that speaker. And if you have an event full of that's not gonna be a positive thing. I think if you don't pay attention to your sense of color. So if you walk into the typical hotel or convention center, they have a neutral palette in their colors. They intentionally do not lean one way or another because they want you to be able to create the experience that you want. But if you just lean into the convention center or hotels color scheme and don't do anything to freshen it up, it's going to feel bland as soon as you walk in. And people already are going to feel on the cool or cold side, not interested because you haven't done anything to warm them up lights can make a big difference in people's experience and the colors that you choose can affect the moods that they have. So I think I would use terrible lighting. I would make sure the sound is awful that you can't really understand very well what people are saying. And I would definitely do this if I was going to create a forgettable event. As soon as the speech is done, Especially if they close with this really powerful moment where people are like ready to go or they're ready to get into a conversation because something has been introduced that's like earth changing, life changing stuff that man, this deserves conversation. The first thing I would do if I wanted to create a boring or forgettable event is I would turn the music up as loud as I can playing something that's obnoxious to get them out of the room because I want to get the next session. go in there i did see this happen and it was terrible (laughs) i thought i'll never do that because the literally the speech had been so good i wanted to turn to my neighbor and say man what did you think about that instead the sound guys turned the music up because they wanted to clear the room for whatever was coming next and within you know 30 seconds i'd forgotten whatever that speaker said it was gone dissipated so those are a couple things that I would do. I'd make sure people felt like they didn't belong. Be be unruly with or yeah, be unruly with them. Uh, treat them like they they don't deserve to be there. They're not good enough to be there. I could go on and on.
0: Great tips. So if you want to have a really if you want to have a forgettable and a boring event, then those are Phil's top tips. Being aware of ev- everyone who's coming to your conference is important. One of the things I love uh, that you do is you have You use music really well. So you've got music uh, before and after in places. But for those who might need a bit of quiet, you have a space for introverts, I think, as well. And you know what? You're thinking about all of those things as well. And food and drink as well. We could talk about all of those things. So share with us, if we are planning an event for next year for example what are the top things that we need to be thinking about we've already covered some of those but what are the main pillars really when it comes to creating an event that we should definitely be thinking about that are non-negotiable
1: well i think starting with your audience and starting with what is the experience that you are trying to create i think that is really important because what's the goal of your conference if the goal is a sales goal you want them at the end of the event to purchase something or to re-enlist, or sign up for whatever it is, that's gonna be a different experience than you, that you're trying to create than if your goal is to help people learn. You want them to transform, or you want them to get engaged in a community, or you want them to feel more connected to your brand. So I think you've gotta start with, what is the goal of this event, and how am I going to do that? And then also knowing who is that typical person coming to the event, because if it's a, 30-year-old male or a 50-year-old woman with certain demographic information you're going to design different experiences you're going to play different music you're going to have a different lighting scheme you're going to if it's if it's a bunch of men getting together i think there's kinds of language that you might allow and there's examples of videos movies that you might use so i think having a very clear understanding of who you're designing this experience for is important but after that I think there's a couple of things that I would do. But think about what makes an event memorable or what makes anything memorable. there's, There's a couple of things. One, is it personal? How do I make this personally relatable? So understanding their background, they've got to feel invested in some way, somehow connected to make this a personal experience and not just something that they got sent to or something that they were supposed to do. But how do I make that personal? One thing that we did, uh, last year, and I've seen done at other events is at the opening keynote, we invited people to send a quick text or email to someone that made it possible for them to be there and to express gratitude, and to even express an intention of I hope to come back to this from this event, and have learned this or done this or met this person, set some kind of intention. So that all of a sudden makes it personal, they've got a vested interest in in this event repetition is something that makes something memorable and you know this as a musician if you want to learn to be a great singer you've got to practice and practice some more and practice the right way and you've got to repeat it well if you want someone to remember something within an event you don't want to just repeat it the same way over and over but repetition of a theme or repetition of a concept or opportunity we'll make it, we'll reinforce that. I think also, I would think about that unconventional or unexpected moment. So surprise is something that always uh, stands out. So Mark Schaefer, again, was a keynote speaker a couple of years ago, and he wanted to end his keynote in a memorable way. And he and I schemed up a way that we were going to have an indoor fireworks show at the end of his keynote. So he got to the climax of his keynote and then and there were confetti guns going off and there were fireworks being displayed and it was a moment that people captured because there was a lot of confetti in the air in that moment and it was a very cool memorable moment I don't know if it was memorable in the right way but it was unconventional it wasn't expected people were not looking for that to happen um, at the event but think about what can you do within your event that's going to be unexpected I'll give you another example. My friend, Liz Lathan, tackled the registration experience in a very different way. It's a smaller event, but she said, you know, that's always a boring experience. What if they met a maitre d when they arrived at the event, like in your, when you're in a restaurant and that maitre d said, oh, Ian, it's so great to see you here. We've got a table for you. And they led you back to a table and set you down with some peers at your event. And then they went and grabbed all your registration materials for you. And brought it to you and that's what she did and they strategically placed you with other people that they knew you would want to talk with and from the very first moment that you're there you're in conversations you feel welcomed and seen and known and so that is such a different experience so think about something unconventional the last thing that i'm going to say is think about all of the senses so you probably know this but the most memorable or memory oriented scent is or a sense is your scent your smell and that can be positive or negative so if someone has fragrance issues and a fragrance is going to cause an allergic reaction that's bad i had an experience this morning where i was driving down the road and for some reason there was sulfur the smell of sulfur which is like rotten eggs was in the air and it immediately took me back to when i was living in kenya When I was in college and I lived next to a sugar plantation and the refinery there uses sulfur to purify the, the sugar. And that was not a good memory because I remember feeling sick in the morning when that was wafting our direction. But immediately I smelled that and was taken there. So you've got to be aware of the senses, how it can affect someone's experience negatively. But then, positively, can you get them to lean into the event by using sense of like coffee? Make that maybe that makes them want to linger a little bit longer. Or tropical smells can make them feel refreshed. So, those are a few things that I would think about as you're designing your event. Obviously, you got to start with the content, and those are all like the experience-oriented things that it's going to make an event stand out. But if you don't have the right content there. And the right speakers delivering the content, it doesn't matter any of the stuff that I just said, that's got to be the first thing that you start with. If it's a content driven event, again, you got to start with what's your goal.
0: Absolutely. And it's that those are the main things, but it's all these little things. And I love that, that those stories that you were sharing about getting the person to sit at a table and getting them registered while talking with other people. That's really smart. Little things like the food, making sure you're taking care of dietary requirements or having decaf coffee and and things like that are all really important as well. Alec is saying, how do you promote content marketing relationship to social media marketing at your event? And he also says, I'm interested in the use of graphics compared with text on presentations or do people use video in presentations? So I suppose he's asking about how much of content marketing do you include in in, uh, social media marketing at the event?
1: Oh, it's an important topic for sure. Mm. It's one of the, the four big pillars that we lean into and especially video, but we know graphics are an important yeah. part of that. Content marketing is incredibly important and especially longer form content. So yeah, it's, it's important. It will be very present. It's usually one of the most attended tracks within our conference. And I expect it will continue to be that way because everybody knows you've got to create great content to get people to engage, to learn about you, whatever your goals are.
0: Very true. Now, I'm not sure, Alec, if you're talking about the use of text when your speaker's giving a presentation, how much text is on the screen compared with... But anyway, I'm a big believer in images, less text. Otherwise, it's just overkill and people are going (laughs) to die of boredom. I'm sure you'd agree with me, Phil, on that one.
1: Obviously, it depends on your topic. If you're teaching something really technical... Then you need to use more text and more, you know, detailed graphics. But in general, I agree with you that less is more in terms of what you put on, and people will remember the images and the stories way more than they're going to remember the bullet points. I think lean into stories. Whenever you tell a story, people usually stop and listen to that story, and they'll remember the story weeks later. They're probably not going to remember the bullet points unless you've said it in a memorable way. I, This is coming from a church, but I remember very clearly the pastor said, don't conceal, confess. And he said it like multiple times through the the message that he was giving. And I think when someone does something like that, there's alliteration, it's memorable in the way they say it, that you can create a framework of a talk that helps people remember the basic things that you were doing. And then they'll remember the stories. And then if they need the details, they're going to go back and listen or look at your notes
0: really good stuff that's a whole other show that we could talk about pre- presenting and, and all those kind of things thank you Phil I've just looked at the time we are almost out of time I did want to briefly ask you about virtual events so for some reason conferences haven't been happening much in person of unfortunately social media marketing world had to be postponed this year because of let's just say it, covid and a lot of events have moved online Now, some events that I've been to, some online events that I've been to have worked remarkably well. I I was involved with Janet Murray's, what's it called, Uh, 2021 Sorted, I think it was, last year. That went really well and had lots of good positive feedback. But I've been to a lot of online events, let's face it, that are just death by Zoom. (laughs) There's no other way of saying it. So uh, what can we learn, do you think, from in-person events and from your experience to create a memorable virtual event
1: i know a lot of things have been tried everyone knows that zoom can put you to sleep or cause you to be bored or disengaged it's hard it's hard when you're online and the other things coming across your screen to stay engaged and so i think anything you can do to keep people engaged that includes getting them into conversation inviting their participation sending things to them in the mail I think that can be really cool. I've seen people talking about great experiences where they're opening boxes together of things that they didn't know that they were going to get and all of a sudden, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Or they're getting cocktail mixes or coffees or things that they can try all together and there's someone there. So you're creating experiences for them that you maybe couldn't even have in person that you can have virtually. So think about that. It's like, how do we do something here and lean into the advantages of it where this is something that you would do one-to-one, but many people can participate at the same time, and if you've got the budget to make that happen. But I also think your speakers have to be much more cognizant. When you're in a room with someone, there's a forgiveness. If someone starts to get a little bit long-winded on a story, when you're online, you've got to be quickly engaging and re-engaging and using stories and shifting things around. Because you're you're looking at the camera in one view. You've been doing a good job of mixing up the views or the scenes here on this live here today. But I think you got to be aware of those different things, the dynamic of how do I keep people engaged while I'm speaking? How do I get them engaged in community? A lot of them aren't willing to. I think we've all kind of grown a little bit weary am I going to engage in this or not? But I think when an event can help you feel invested, help you feel connected quickly. And I've seen that done really well by getting people into small groups in smart ways that can be very awkward or it can be done really well where those groups become now a, a cheerleading squad for you As when, you know, you want to report back and you don't want to miss those conversations. Cause sometimes that's the best learning. It's not what came from the speaker. It's what happened in those conversations
0: yeah absolutely and i i totally agree with you about the presentations they need to be a lot slicker and actually using different camera angles is great i've seen i've quite a few speakers level things up quite a bit and they've got different speakers and so different uh, cameras so you might have a side camera and alex says virtual events do get more engagement from the shy than at physical events and the non-english speakers that's my experience and yeah i think i would agree with that and it also allows you to get involved in your pajamas Without having to get on a plane, so there is that. But we are out of time. Phil, are you a saxophonist or a saxophone player?
1: I am. But which one would you say? I, which. Oh, which... <laughs> I say saxophonist. I say saxophonist. Okay. Yeah.
0: Do you play the? Is it the soprano, alto, tenor? Which one do you tend to focus on?
1: All three of those.
0: Oh wow. Okay. You got one there. Do you want to play us something? I do.
1: This one. Yeah, this is the soprano that I have with me here. So.
0: Wow, that was awesome. Just love that. That's really, really great stuff. I hope you're impressed with Phil's playing there and uh, we're hopefully going to be doing a little bit more jazz with the theme song as well. I haven't quite figured out what that's going to be. But it's great to hear you play, Phil. I love your playing. There's so much soul that goes into it. Now you're in the middle of writing a book and uh, tell us more about the book. And uh, I know the date, the the release date's not out yet, but tell us a bit more about what the book's going to be about.
1: COVID put a dent in the plans. I'm under contract for a book. The working title is Unforgettable Events, but for obvious reasons, the last year and a half, that has not been a topic that too many people would be interested in and the publisher wasn't interested. But I've restarted slowly restarting work on it and it'll probably be 2022 before it comes out i'm hoping to be done writing it by the end of this year so it's going to be all about the things that we've been talking about here and more talking about things like culture talking about the things that get in the way of creating a great event giving some templates and tools to help primarily whether it's a subject matter expert or a small business owner who wants to figure out how do we create an event or an event planner who's looking for some ideas or a corporate event planner who's really wanting to make sure their events aren't boring. That is the charge of this book is how do you make something not boring? How do you make it memorable, stand out, something that will be unforgettable?
0: Awesome. How's the best place for people to follow you and to find out more about you? Website, social media, where's the best place? <laughs>
1: I would say social media is the best. LinkedIn's always good. I'm less active on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Facebook, but probably for this professional audience, I'd say LinkedIn is the place to go. LinkedIn.
0: Well, you can connect with Phil on LinkedIn. If if people just search for your name, I'm sure they'll find, but we'll also put links in the show notes for this, which will be at iag.me forward slash I think it's 128, isn't it? I've forgotten already what number we on. Yes, it is. 128, IAG.me forward slash 128 when the podcast comes out. Thank you so much, Phil. It's been absolutely amazing to have you on the show. I'm sorry it's taken so long to get you on the show, but uh, it's just great to, to have you today to talk about memorable, memorable events. So thank you.
1: Thanks for awesome. having me on.
0: It's been great. But until next time, I encourage you to level up your impact, authority and profits through the power of Confident Live Video. See you soon.